On this episode of Blue 58, weeks after the Packers season actually ended, the 2018 schedule has come to a merciful close. Let's take a quick look at what happened in the Packers' disappointing season-ending shutout before refocusing on what happens next. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. I'm excited to put this season to rest. And I hope you are too. There are brighter days ahead. At least more interesting days ahead. As of right now, the Packers are 0-0 zero and zero for the 2019 season. 2018 is officially behind us. I know there's the matter of the playoffs and the Super Bowl and all that, but from my perspective, the Packers are already in 2019, which means they are once again undefeated. So thank goodness for that. Now we get to talk about this coaching search, which is going to be wild this week. And we get to start talking about the NFL draft and what the Packers do in free agency. We can touch on at least two of those three topics here today. But first, we should take a quick, brief look at what happened with the Packers today. Usually we go, what happened, why did it happen, and what happens next. Today, we're going to go, what happened, did anything good happen, before moving on to the third and final category. What happened? Well, today the Packers got hammered by a team with more actual players pretty clear the Packers just didn't have enough to compete out there. If Aaron Rodgers had been in this game, who knows? That might change the entire tenor of what was going on, but things weren't going particularly well before he came out. Some of that probably has to do with the concussion, but overall, just an ugly, ugly afternoon there, and just pretty limited effort there. I'm not somebody who likes to play the, well, they they laid down and, you know, they gutless performance, you know, all those talk radio cliches face it, they didn't have much to play for, anything to play for realistically. And they were pretty much down to the absolute dregs of the roster, especially on defense. I mean, on offense, once David Bakhtiari came out, they were playing Justin McRae at left tackle. That's never going to be good. On defense, it was even worse than that. You know the story. The bottom line is the Packers got shut out by the Lions for the first time at home since 1970. Just the 18th shutout in Packers history, though the third time they've been shut out at home in the past two seasons. They were shut out by the Ravens and the Vikings at home last year. Thank you very much, Brett Hundley. So did anything good happen in this one? I've got two and a half quasi-good things. First, they got a lot of people involved on offense. I think the tendency over the past two or three relatively meaningless weeks has been to kind of lean on those higher-end players on the roster. If you're going to try to get a look at people, and I guess they were today, at least throw some guys out there. And they did today. The 10 different players were targeted with a pass, with a pass, excuse me. They got actual carries to people beyond Jamal Williams. Capri Bibbs got a carry. Good to see. So, I mean, if you're going to play out this game in a meaningless way, you might as well get a lot of guys out there. Treat it like an actual preseason game if it's not going to be a postseason game. So that was good. They also had a couple defensive bright spots today. Kyler Fackrell, for one, gets that sack today and moves him past the 10-sack mark on the season. I'm not really sure how much this means because six of those sacks came in just two games. It's not like the Packers really got consistent sack totals from Fackrell over the course of this year, but hey, 10 and a half sacks is 10 and a half sacks. And I think if you were coming into the season expecting 10 and a half sacks out of Kyler Fackrell, 
That would probably have seemed like a little bit of an overly optimistic perspective at the time. But here we are. The season is over. He's in double-digit sacks. Wow. I I don't really know what to say. I I guess at the start of the season, if you'd have told me that ancient Clay Matthews or Kyler Fackrell will have 10 sacks this year, I would have put like 75% of my chips on Clay Matthews discovering the fountain of youth under Mike Pettin. Maybe more. Maybe at 90% would have believed it would have been been Matthews. Fackrell had just shown no consistent pass rush. He could do it at times, but to be consistently good enough to get 10 and a half sacks, I don't think anybody saw out of Kyler Fackrell. It was also good to see Antonio Morrison today. If you want to do the effort discussion and talk about how guys laid down and blah, 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 okay, that's your prerogative. But leave Antonio Morrison out of that discussion today because he was playing amazing, at least in terms of an effort perspective. Uh, flying around the field, hitting people hard as he's done all year. You could He stood out in terms of effort, even in a meaningless, hopeless game. He's the sort of guy who clearly understood all 31 teams around the league are watching this. This is a good time to make an impression on somebody. All it takes is one team, other than the Packers, assuming they don't bring him back, to offer him a deal, and you've got a job for next year. That's part of this equation, too, and Morrison clearly understood it. Third, and semi-positively, we got to answer the questions from everybody who's been asking the Packers to see what they have in Deshaun Kaiser and Robert Tanyan. And what we saw was not a whole lot. Apparently, Robert Tanyan in particular wasn't playing for a reason. He had just the one catch on two targets today, and the second drop was an absolute killer. Dropped the pass on a on a fourth down play, caused the turnover on downs. Should have had it. He was going to get decked on that play, but that's the job. If you're going over the middle, especially as a tight end, you got to make those catches, and he didn't even give himself a chance dropping it before he was even touched. Deshaun Kaiser, we've heard a lot over the past couple of weeks. The Packers got to see what they have in Deshaun Kaiser. Well, they don't have a whole lot. Deshaun Kaiser is better than Brett Hundley, but based on what we saw today, And based what we saw against the Bears in week one, I don't think you could count on him for any kind of long-term relief. Say Aaron Rodgers goes down early next year again, and the Packers need their backup to take over for five, eight, ten games the rest of the season, something like that. I don't know if you could count on Kaiser. The caveat with that is that's not really an outlier. Most backups in the NFL are backups for a reason. If you're a starting caliber quarterback in the NFL, you're starting somewhere. Nobody other than the Saints and Teddy Bridgewater really have somebody who could be considered a starting caliber backup. As fun as Fitzmagic was earlier this year, he also showed that he has been a career backup everywhere he's gone for a reason. The only reason the Saints have that starting caliber backup is because they overpaid a little bit for a depreciated asset. They traded a third-round pick to get Teddy Bridgewater. I'm not entirely sure why they did that, because he's going to be a free agent after the season, I believe. But it's not like they sat down. The point is, it's not like they sat down, drafted Teddy Bridgewater, and then developed him to where he is now. That's not what happened there. So it's not like 
if the Packers go with uh, Kaiser next year, or if they bring in some other guy, that it's going to be super likely that they're going to have a starting caliber backup there. And I don't know what Nick Foles is doing in Philadelphia because he, again, is the outlier too. You don't see a lot of people coming in for their starting quarterback long-term and figuring things out and being the answer. I mean, just look at San Francisco. They're the counterpoint to that. They have a young guy that they liked. They're equivalent of a Carson Wentz. But they've tried half of the available quarterbacks in the known universe, and they can't find a guy to even make them semi-competitive, despite what they did against the Packers. So even if Kaiser isn't that great, so what? I mean, (laughs) who cares? Uh, Sure, you try to get better at that spot, but it's not like it's some telling indictment of what the Packers have done that they haven't found a guy who could step in for Aaron Rodgers if he got hurt long-term. Most teams don't have that. It just really doesn't exist. It's probably a coaching issue as much as anything else. Not that coaching would make your backup quarterbacks better, but put those backup quarterbacks in a position where they could be better. Let's talk a couple random observations before we move on here. These are things that don't really tie into anything else we've been talking about. Uh, This announcing crew was absolutely terrible today. We had Justin Hutcher, Robert Smith, and Pat McAfee making what I believe is his broadcasting debut for Fox. And you know, I like Pat McAfee's shtick online as much as the next guy, but you can't get by a whole three-hour broadcast on shtick. Stand-up comedy routines don't last three hours, and that's all shtick. Shtick, or McAfee's act, or whatever you want to call it, is pretty much best left where it was discovered. On the internet, on Twitter. There you can consume it in bite-sized pieces. The good ones get retweeted into your timeline, and you see all the Pat McAfee you need to see. He can't be an integral part of a broadcast team, at least not right now, for a whole day. On top of that, he clearly didn't know how to prep, There were numerous examples of that throughout the game. He even admitted that he did not do a whole lot of prep for this game, and it showed. Those holes show up pretty quick once you turn on the microphone. Let's talk for a second about Joe Philbin. I think two plays today showed pretty clearly why Joe's candidacy for the Packers' head coaching job should be pretty much dead. Uh, First, uh, at the end of the first half, the Packers, or the Lions had the ball, and were driving. And the Packers did what they have often done under Mike McCarthy. They took timeouts on defense in an effort to get the ball back with some time left. And they ended up getting the ball back with about a minute to go. But on that drive, they end up with a fourth and one with nine seconds left, already down 21 to nothing. Instead of going for a Hail Mary or doing anything to continue moving the ball down the field, What does Joe Philbin do? He takes a delay of game penalty to give himself more room to punt, and then punts. Why? You're down three scores already, Joe. It's a game that doesn't matter. Who cares if they make it 24 to nothing, or 28 to nothing, or whatever if they end up scoring? If you're going to try to get the ball back, try to do something with it. Why punt it there? If you want to talk about giving up on a game, that's what giving up on a game looks like. Not any made-up stuff about effort. You're just taking away opportunities to try to win. Punting isn't going to do anything for you there. Why? 
And what if, for that matter, the returner decides to feel it instead of letting it bounce into the end zone and takes it back for a touchdown? It's not like the Packers special teams have been that reliable. Wouldn't you like to leave the ball in a situation where you're controlling what goes on with it? I think so. Just didn't make any sense. Then, on the Packers' last meaningful drive of the game, their ninth drive, they end up facing a fourth and three. They're in Lions territory at this point, though not exactly in scoring range. And they call what looks like a designed fade route to Marquez Valdez-Scantling versus Darius Slay. Kaiser really didn't look at any other options, so it makes me think that that's where they wanted the entire play to go. But in that situation, you're relying on a fade route to a rookie versus the Lions' best corner to pick up just three yards. That just doesn't make any sense there. That's the best call you could come up with when you absolutely got to have it? I don't understand. Thirdly, we need to talk about something that I've seen already popping up a little bit online, and we just got to kill this right now. Aaron Rodgers did not fake a concussion. Come on. What kind of evidence do you have that that's even a possibility? After all of his public statements about wanting to play in these games, why would he do that? And why would he fake a concussion? If he wanted to milk an injury... Couldn't he have gone with, I don't know, one of his many existing injuries that he decided should keep him out of the game? Why would he go with a a head injury, one for which there is an entire uh, protocol designed to determine whether or not he actually has a concussion? And what kind of fan or even a person are you if you really put a lot of merit into that, that thing? How cynical a person are you that you would really entertain that idea of him? How, how low of an opinion do you have of Aaron Rodgers? It, it just boggles my mind that people are seriously putting that forward. And I'd be willing to talk with anybody who seriously thinks that. Like, what's, what's the upside there for Rodgers? Surely someone is going to find out if he tanked that concussion test or whatever. What what's what's the benefit to him? That's an awful lot of risk to quit on your team. Moving on to happier topics, I think Fidel Brown, this Packers defensive lineman edge type, might be a keeper. Now, the Packers claimed him on December 5th. He's kind of a tweener, edge rusher, 3-4-N type. Not really one or the other, but the Packers have found ways to use him rushing the passer. He had two quarterback hits today, one of which ultimately was uh, was flagged for roughing, uh, but ignore that for the sake of this argument. Um, and those two gave him four in four games with the Packers. He's getting to the quarterback and has been able to relatively consistently. For comparison, Nick Perry, albeit a possibly injured Nick Perry, had just three quarterback hits in nine games with the Packers this season. I want to keep an eye on Fidel Brown. Finally, finally, putting a bow on the not-so-special special teams of this season. J.K. Scott ended his year with a pretty inconsistent effort, and it was kind of a mirror image of his overall inconsistent season. Justin Vogel, last year's punter, may not have as big of a, of a leg as Scott does, but at least he seemed to be a little bit more consistent. Scott 
has not been quite as consistent. He's had a lot of punts end up rolling into the end zone, hasn't been able to down it deep as consistently as Vogel was. But he also hasn't had quite the consistency on the outside that Vogel did. I think a good portion of Justin Vogel's success last year had to do with guys like Jeff Janis, who was just so good at getting down the field and hounding those returners that he forced a lot of fair catches, which bumps up your punter's net average and limits just a lot of returns in general. Just something to think about. Overall, sure, Scott probably wasn't as consistent as he could have been, but there are other factors that factor in here. So what happens next for the Packers? Got a couple things in particular that are going to pop up this week. First and foremost, Joe Philbin. Black Monday is beckoning for Joe Philbin. He said late last week that uh, Lambeau Field is probably going to be largely empty by 5 o'clock on Monday afternoon, and I think that could include Joe Philbin. My gut feeling and this is, is this is probably going to be a sort of thanks but no thanks sort of situation from the Packers to Philbin after today's effort. He may still get an interview, but it feels like at this point he's more of a nominal candidate for the job at best. He's presided over a couple pretty bad losses now here, one pretty good effort against the Falcons who were bad. And overall, it just hasn't seemed like things have really come together under Philbin. Now, it's a tough situation for him to be in, sure. But I think overall, it would best suit the Packers to really just kind of start from the ground up here. Uh, Take everybody off the table. Take a look at your staff. See if there's anybody you might want to add back in, Mike Pettin maybe. And then go from there. Just start from, from scratch. Build back up. Get some new blood in there. That new blood could include Northwestern University head football coach Pat Fitzgerald. And nobody has sparked as divisive of reactions among the people we've talked to, among the people we've polled, as Pat Fitzgerald. It was reported just prior to the game that the Packers are going to make a formal request to interview Pat Fitzgerald. Northwestern's athletic director can, of course, reject their request, but it sounds like the Packers are at least going to take a shot at it. Tom Silverstein did a great piece on Fitzgerald this weekend talking about the pros and cons of hiring him as an ex-Packers head coach. I want to read a few of the nuggets here that he reported about Fitzgerald and about the sort of things he might be able to do as an NFL coach Maybe not the Packers, but a potential NFL coach. Silverstein writes, First, a crucial question the pair would need to answer that is Gutekunst and Murphy is what kind of staff Fitzgerald could put together. He, His staff at Northwestern would be overmatched and he would have to compete with other new head coaches who have far more NFL contacts for the top available assistants. You can't discount that part of the equation. Fitzgerald has to fill out a staff if he can't do that effectively, he might be doomed before he even gets started here because you need some good assistance to make things go if you are an NFL head coach. So, who knows um, if he's going to be able to do that well. 
Silverstein continues, in Fitzgerald's case, some of the things the NFL is doing now have roots in the college game. Plus, Fitzgerald, who has a defensive background, doesn't call plays or immerse himself in weekly X's and O's and could hire people with NFL experience to do that. He's more of a CEO type of coach, a scout said. You can look at a guy like Tennessee head coach Mike Vrabel. He could command a room. I think Fitz has that. He's very intelligent without acting like he knows everything. So if Fitzgerald is going to be the Packers head coach or a head coach anywhere other than Northwestern, he at least seems to have the understanding that he doesn't have to try to do everything himself. He can rely on other people to make this make decisions for him. And he seems to have had some success doing that. Silverstein has two more nuggets here that I'd like to share. In a Chicago Tribune story, Fitzgerald, as a player, was said to have been able to alert his teammates from his middle linebacker position whether the offense was going to run or pass by analyzing the stances of the offensive linemen. He won both the Bronco Nagurski Trophy and the Chuck Benarek Award as the best defensive cut player in college football in consecutive years, becoming the first two-time winner for both honors. He was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame based on his accomplishments as a player. I don't have a whole lot to add there, but I do think it's important to realize the caliber of a football person, a player, I guess, in particular here, that Fitzgerald is. He's not just some rah-rah guy who worked his way up to becoming an, uh, a collegiate head coach. He was a legit player, legit, uh, actual player in college football prior to beginning his coaching career. Finally, Silverstein concludes with a nugget from two of his former players at Northwestern. Quote, both Dean Lowry and Tyler Lancaster, a pair of Packers defensive linemen who played for Fitzgerald at Northwestern, said they didn't think he would have difficulty dealing with professional athletes or the professional locker room. They felt, however, that Fitzgerald would need to change his approach and said he most likely would. That's interesting, I think, and pretty even-handed from Lowry and Lancaster. They think it'll work, whatever he does at the NFL, but they think he's going to have to adapt too. And that's really the question with all of these potential college coaches heading towards the NFL. They're going to have to adapt and whether or not they are able to is really going to tell the tale of their success in the NFL. Of course, it's not just Philbin and Fitzgerald. We're going to have other head coaching interviews in Green Bay. Like we said Friday, it's probably going to be true that the Packers interview more rather than fewer head coaches. And we're going to be learning over the next couple of days, a lot of things about the actual candidates for the job in Green Bay. It's going to be a wild week, and you should be taking everything you read and hear with a grain of salt. And I think that includes what we say because things can change so quickly. Cliff Kingsbury is a perfect example. We wrote a piece about Cliff Kingsbury. Less than two, three days later, he was hired as the head coach uh, of USC. People online took note of our piece. One guy in particular who trashed us a little bit, and one exact one tweet in particular, um, saying, how could we dare write about Cliff Kingsbury? He'd already been hired. Not noting that we had written what we did days before Kingsbury was hired. I think you understand what I'm trying to say here. Everybody has to be on top of the timeline and what's going on. And Kingsbury in particular is interesting, not just because of that example, but because even though he's been hired by USC, He's apparently, he's apparently, and reportedly from a couple sources today, not averse to interviewing for NFL jobs despite having just taken a job with USC. If you're a USC booster and you hear that, how are you feeling? If you're the sort of person who donates 
tens of thousands or even millions of dollars to the USC football program. And there are some big names out there who do that. How do you feel about your new head coach if he's apparently not entirely ruled out a jump to the NFL? I'd be having a little buyer's remorse, wouldn't you? So all that to say, just just be cautious as you go through this process. We will do our best to be cautious as well. Uh, we're trying not to speculate uh, if we can. And uh, just be wary of the speculators out there too because they have their own interests in mind when they're throwing this stuff out there. Finally, and we're not going to dive too deep on this, but it should be noted that the Packers have a bevy of free agents about to hit the market this spring. Some unrestricted, some restricted, some exclusive rights, and they've got a lot of decision-making. All told, they have 22 pending free agents. 12 of them are unrestricted free agents, and some of these are pretty big names in Green Bay. Randall Cobb, Clay Matthews, Muhammad Wilkerson kind of lead the class. Mercedes Lewis and Lance Kendricks are up there as well. They played a lot this year. Byron Bell as well. Finally, a bunch of nuts and bolts kind of guys. Devon House, bet you forgot he was still with the team, and Jake Ryan as well. Bashad Breland, Eddie Pleasant, Ibrahim Campbell, and Dan Vitale, all unrestricted free agents. I'd say most of those guys, if I had to guess, probably aren't going to be coming back next year. Um, And that could change depending on who, in particular, ends up being the next Packers head coach because he's going to want, to a certain extent, some of his own guys in the building. So I wouldn't bank on a lot of those 12 being back. Some of them I would like to see back. That's a discussion for a different day. Restricted free agents, there are two, Geronimo Allison and Kentrell Bryce. I'm a yes on Geronimo and a no on Kentrell Bryce. I don't think there's any downside to bringing Allison back. I don't think there's any reason to bring Bryce back. Finally, exclusive rights free agents. I'm a yes on all eight of these guys. Lucas Patrick, Justin McRae, Adam Pankey, Reggie Gilbert, Robert Tanyan, Jake Kumaro, Fidal Brown, and Kendall Donerson. I think you take them all and just sort it out in training camp next year. These are guys that have shown to varying extents, other than Kendall Donerson, that they can do things at the NFL level. How much they can do, eh, that's a bit up in the air. But um, they're worth taking another look at, I think. So those guys will probably be coming back. But the Packers are going to have to make decisions on all 22 of these guys at some point in the next few months. There's also, and again, uh, this is probably a discussion for a different day, but guys whose contracts could be uh, terminated in Green Bay, nominally on the team right now, sure, but they could be on the outs depending on how this offseason goes. Guys like Jimmy Graham, Nick Perry, Tremont Williams, even Mason Crosby maybe could be on that list. So something to keep in the back of your mind as we head into this offseason, which has now officially begun. I'm excited to navigate all of this with you and enjoy the offseason and do all of those things. It's going to be a blast, and we're going to have a lot of fun covering it. So I hope you enjoy tagging along with us through this offseason. That's all I've got for you on this particular episode. Things are going to be very different the next time we speak with each other. So I look forward to doing that. Check back in with us on Wednesday here at Blue 58. I've been your host, John Bearding. Thank you very much for listening with us. It's been a great 2018 season, even if it wasn't so great on the field. And we look forward again to enjoying this offseason with you. We'll see you Wednesday. Blue 58!